When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or Zepbound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Bottoming, the podcast about LGBTQ mental health, rock bottoming and beyond. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at bottomingpod or visit bottomingpodcast.com for more content relating to each episode. We've also added a support page to direct you to the right place if you're struggling or need someone to talk to. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe. Hello, I'm Matthew. And I'm Brendan, and our pronouns are he and him. This week we're taking a train out of London, <laughs> through the countryside, and we're revisiting our our regional queerness. Uh, not the tea or coffee kind. Oh, no. Not the regional alpha kind. Although gonna... we love tea or coffee in this house. We do love tea or coffee. We do. We do. We, do. we have to yeah. shout out to Drag Race Season 2, actually, UK, uh-huh. because it is, I would say, up there with the best of the bunch of all of the seasons honestly unparalleled i'd say i I, yeah i agree but yeah what we want to talk about is very obviously we both come from regions across the uk i mean i guess to contextualize this episode we are going to be speaking to shaw from homotopia Mm -hmm. which is a um an lgbtq art culture festival Mm -hmm. um it's been running for quite a few years now um but before we get into that interview we just want to talk about our experiences coming from cities and towns and what that was like in terms of accessing queer things mm-hmm. um and maybe the impact that had on us so i guess brenda you came from the smallest <laughs> the smallest of the cities the places we came from yeah i'm from so. a small town um <laughs> Although we do have a big impact on the UK, thank you very much. <laughs> We've got some marmite that came from from us, and uh, we brew Cause Light at the minute. I believe. Oh, oh no, sorry, redacted. It's actually car <laughs> carling currently. Oh yeah, um, oh. I don't drink it, but each to their own. Yeah, um, good for them. Good for them. But yeah, growing up, I 
I think the first bit of like gayness I saw on the telly specifically um, was the whole John Paul McQueen and Craig Dean mm-hmm. love story on mm-hmm. Hollyoaks. We also had Skin Season 1 with Maxi. Um, but I guess at that time, those stories were few and far between. Mm-hmm. And also they highlighted more of the like negative aspects of, of, mm-hmm. of being gay. Like Maxi was like attacked at, uh, in Skins. Um, and everything was done kind of like hush-hush. The same with John Paul McQueen and Craig Dean. Mm-hmm. It was all like... No one can find out about us because it's yeah. this dramatic thing. Um, and so it didn't really portray the best idea of being a, yeah. a homosexual. Um, and also that was quite... You weren't like young at that point either way. You no. were like a teenager or Yeah, 15, point, 15. Which is quite late to be exposed to that sort of representation on oh, yeah. TV. Like 15 odd years without seeing anything like that is... Absolutely. Quite a while, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I might have, but not really registered it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's some hyper-religious people out there would, that would say I was conditioned in some way. Um, but that was the first instance. I mean, being from Liverpool, someone like Lily Savage was someone that I, I knew of from um, from being a lot younger, I think that was just kind of the Liverpool connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Paul O'Grady show as well, like when that was on ITV oh, at five o'clock. Yeah. Um, my mum was a big fan of Paul O'Grady, so we used to have that on. I remember when I was kind of like Pink's biggest stan, I used to like, whenever she'd come and be doing a new album promo, I'd be watching there. Um, but other than that, I think similarly to a lot of people, maybe our age and older, the only times I can remember having any access kind of this is pre I know we've we've spoken in kind of a couple of episodes ago about like me kind of discovering a community was more when I kind of had had access to Tumblr mm. and then it kind of exploded from there. But yeah. before that the mm-hmm. only the only sort of connections I had to it were like seeing that Brokeback Mountain was on channel four. Yeah. At like ten PM, eleven PM <laughs> and waiting until we were gone to bed. Yeah. And then, you know, having something ready on another channel so that yeah. If there was like footsteps, I'd be ready to like flick over to something really mundane that was on a different channel. Match of the day. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, not quite. That would have been more suspect. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, watching oh, Match so of the Day. That would have raised more alarms. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm afraid you're taking the wrong path. Yeah. <laughs> um, or the same, like there was a couple of episodes of Queer as Folk that I watched. Oh, yeah. And I think it was just because. Um, and I'm going to call it out actually now. No, not me, mum. That's not... It sounded like that was where this was going. Mm. There was a... There was the first time I was called queer. It was the first time I knew... I had heard the word. I think... Mm. I think I was in year six. Maybe it was even younger than that. But she essentially just called me like... With such anger in her face, called me a little queer. And I remember at the time without even realising what she meant. Mm. I'd never heard the word before. Didn't know what it was. Yeah. I just felt like... I felt the anger and aggression that she meant. Yeah. And I think it was kind of after that, I kind of knew that there was something different about me. Saw something like Queer as Folk come up on like teletext Mm -hmm. and thought I should give this, I should probably give this a go. Like, just the way, the way, the way way that your brain works. But like would stand in front of the television with it on volume one, like ready to turn it off again, Mm -hmm. waiting for a single footstep just so I didn't get caught. 
But as you said, like those stories at the time, although they were revolutionary mm-hmm. for people watching them then, a lot of them, there's a lot of problematic things that tie in with them now, like Shrouded yeah. in Shame, mm-hmm. some questionable storylines. Like yeah. I remember now thinking about the episode that it stuck in my mind actually because I remember thinking I want that cheap when I'm older. <laughs> but I don't know, I'd, I'd never watched it afterwards. But um, one of the characters from Queer as Folk goes out, meets his boy. They go home, have sex, and he drops him off at school the next day <gasps> in his Jeep. Like, obviously, there's a, an age issue there, but yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, that just raises so many other questions. Uh-huh. And when you're trying to discover who you are and the only other things on TV you've got are heterosexual people or nothing. And this goes back to Section 28 that we were talking about a, week, yeah. a couple of weeks ago. There's just no other way to educate or learn about mm. who you are. And it can cause, like not identity issues per se but it can like make you have a lot of questions about where you mm-hmm. fit in 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 mm-hmm. society if we'd have had loud and proud festivals in mm-hmm. in our respective towns do you think that would have changed the way you felt about yourself at a young age? Um, I think it's quite a difficult question, isn't it? Because I think, like, Liverpool Pride, the first one I went to was, was the first one, the first modern Liverpool Pride, and it was in 2010. Okay. So that was two years before I moved to London. Mm. But even at that point, like, I still didn't feel comfortable with who... I didn't know who I was. It wasn't even not feeling comfortable. I didn't know who I was as a gay mm. person at that point. And that was after coming out. So I think... I, I, I think it's difficult to say that even if that was happening... Mm-hmm. I don't know how I would have felt as a as a not out person. Mm-hmm. I and it's kind of it's, it's something I kind of it plagues in mind whenever I think about this this type of stuff. I always think like, would I have been one of those people that would be strong enough to like be out and loud and proud? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Or am I that easily swayed? Not the right word, but am I that easily kind of influenced, pr- influenced and pressured that I would have been trying to conform? Right. Which really, when I think about it too much, it actually really upsets me. Yeah. Because I don't like thinking that that's the sort of person that I am now, mm. when I think about who I am now. But obviously, it's it's great that these things are in places now, mm-hmm. because hopefully you get families going, mm-hmm. you get all sorts of people turning up at these sorts of events. Yeah. Um, Which has a, it's like a ripple impact. It kind of changes not only the people that go, mm-hmm. their families, the places that it's in policy in the mm-hmm. places that it's in and it has such a big impact wider than just the festival and all the, the event itself so yeah um yeah i kind of yeah it's a difficult question i think yeah for, for me when i think about it too deeply actually yeah i don't know how i um i would have reacted either because also being the type of person i was when i was younger um obviously very anxious um I don't know whether I would have reached out to go to Mm -hmm. those things, even if I knew that they were happening. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like I've spoken about on a few episodes of the shame aspect I was feeling, I think it might have helped maybe the the society, yeah, like you're saying, the society and the wider cultural impact and make me feel as though there was different versions of myself to be and, and more opportunities Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in that respect, it definitely would have helped whether directly or indirectly, I think I definitely would have benefited Yeah, for sure. 
I mean, when I've been home over the, the years since leaving Liverpool, and I've been to Pride a couple of times since, seeing groups of young people, and I'm mm. talking like kids at school, that go to this event together, um, and seeing them kind of just like expressing themselves, mm. just like being outwardly proud yeah. as to who they are, that gives me hope. Even when researching for this episode, mm-hmm. you've learned some lovely new things about Liverpool that yeah. you never knew when you yeah. when you were living there. Yeah, I did. I um, I mean, was actually really quite blown away by some of them, to be honest. So, go on, give us give us a little rundown. Give you a little run through of some of these. So I'm gonna go in chronological <laughs> chronological order here. So this is not by any means, you know, like a full list of facts here. Mm. But bear with me, because Liverpool is actually quite a hotspot when it comes to LGBT history. Well, honey, they produce you. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) So, um, very famous name that you, well, everyone should know, actually. If you don't know, this is one to go away and research. But April Ashley, who's a model, so she was born in 1935. Mm -hmm. She's one of the UK's first people to undergo gender um, reaffirming surgery. She was actually outed in 1961 as a trans woman by the Sunday people. And that was because a friend sold the story. Um, and at the time, obviously, caused some controversy. Mm-hmm. She was given a MBE for services to trans equality in 2012. Um, obviously, Frankie goes to Hollywood, fronted by two openly gay members, um, Holly Johnson, Paul Rutherford. So they scored the longest running number one single in the UK of the 1980s. We've got Brookside. Surely everyone knows Brookside. They I had. Do, I never. I never watched Brookside. <laughs> I think honestly, I don't think I did. It was before my time. Yeah, yeah. Reclaiming my time. <laughs> no, yeah, before my. So Brookside not only not only not only had the UK's first openly gay character in 1985. It also had the first pre-watershed lesbian kiss in 1994. We love to see it. Mm. Back in 2001. When this morning was still filmed in the Albert Dock. So, you know, um, Alison, when she went back to the docks and yes. she jumped on the map, that was where the oldest morning studio was. Stop it. There needs when to the be sailor, some sort of memorial When the sailor there. fell in. <laughs> <laughs> so, the UK's first ever gay wedding was screened live on air from the Albert Dock in 2001. Stunning. Love mm-hmm. it. In 2002, this is a really important one, actually, that I was I was really shocked by. Mm-hmm. A 30-year-old lesbian from Liverpool became the first person to successfully challenge the British government's unfair discrimination against homosexual couples under the Mental Health Act of 1983. So, following the landmark legal proceedings against Liverpool City Council and the Secretary of State of Health, the government was then forced to change the law under the European Convention of Human Rights. It was accepted that gay partners of mental health patients in same-sex relationships would qualify as the nearest relatives, which would therefore mean that they would have the same rights as heterosexual unmarried couples. Wow. Which, if you think about it now, is wild that that wouldn't be the case. Yeah, yeah. Liverpool Pride. So uh-huh. the more modern one has run since 2010. Um, there have been a few before that. So the first one was 1979, which was a week-long celebration actually in memory of the Stonewall Riots. There's also been some 1990 to 1992 and one in 1995. But Liverpool Pride is now one of the largest free LGBT festivals in Europe. Wow. Mm-hmm. See, I told you, facts for days. There is in... a wealth of facts. <laughs> in 2012, Liverpool was the first city to officially mark International Day Against Homophobia and Transphobia. 
with a program of free events. Mm. And every year since then, they've raised the, um, I always find this a funny uh, acronym to say, the Ida Hobbit flag. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, just to, I'll, you know, won't send you all to sleep, but 2017 was the first time ever in major British theatre Romeo and Juliet was made into a story about gay lovers, and that was in um, one of Liverpool's most fantastic theatres, The Everyman. So, yeah, facts for friggin' days, actually. I am so grateful that you <laughs> took the time to do that. Honestly, no, <laughs> I always think it's fascinating to look back, especially this for this month specifically, and mm-hmm. I think it definitely does, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a huge thing. Yeah, I mean, I've kind of I've had a difficult relationship with Liverpool since since being born there, essentially, <laughs> <laughs> um, and essentially, and always well since leaving as well, um, for a lot of reasons. But um, yeah, it is always really interesting to to reconnect with it, mm-hmm. and I kind of I do always find new ways to love it again or reconnect with it, mm-hmm. um, even if the relationship is still quite complicated. Um, yeah, just knowing that there's that rich history that I can also connect to yeah um yeah just fills me with fills me with some warmth actually no i don't actually think that i've had that much insight into a historical moment historical place since my uh history gcse so, well, <laughs> thank you for that, Matthew. Are you ready, COVID pending, ready to book your train to Liverpool? You know, actually, yes, I am. The only one time I've ever been to Liverpool was on a school trip to the Tate. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. And I very much enjoyed myself. Oh, that's what usually what happens. I actually was really pleased that I managed to find a way to essentially focus on a whole episode around Liverpool. You were very successful. I mean, look at, yeah. look at where we are. Yeah, I know. Drowning in Liverpool facts. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we're now going to chat to Shah from Homotopia. Uh, So I'm Shah Bins. I'm Festival Director at Homotopia. And Homotopia, in a nutshell, is the UK's longest running LGBTQIA arts and cultural festival. Uh, Born and bred in Liverpool. We've been going for 17 years now. So um, I think people have noticed by now we've got a few episodes in and I've mentioned it a few times. I've obviously got a soft spot for Homotopia because I'm from Liverpool. You're um, not, are you? Can't tell. <laughs> You'd be surprised, you know, some of the messages I get. People are like, you've either lost your accent or why wow, your accent's so strong. So I feel like I'm stuck in limbo. <laughs> um, what do you think the importance is of having a queer art and culture, a culture festival in the UK generally? And then I think the next question I'd ask is, on top of that is, um, why Liverpool? Sure, sure. Um, I mean, in general, uh, I think it's hugely important for the simple fact of representation. Um, you know, I think uh, any listeners who um, maybe are listening and don't identify as, as LGBTQIA, um, any day of the week, they can switch the telly on, they can go to the cinema, they can listen to a love song, and it's probably between a man and a woman, um, and that's a story that they can relate to. And of course, you can relate to emotions of stories, regardless of, um, you know, who's who's actually in those stories or what the context is. But there's something unbelievably affirming about seeing a story between two two women, for me personally, um, because um, you know my relationships with a woman, and it just it makes you feel um, 
like you're, you're truly part of, of uh, the world and of society and of the arts. Uh, but on top of that, you know, queer people for donkey's years have just made really cool, innovative, uh, weird, uh, risky art. And um, even if we come to a time when there's no homophobia in the world, queer culture is still different from heterosexual culture. And so we just want to celebrate that and just share brilliant uh, queer art with, with everybody. Mm -hmm. And you said it's been 17 years now. How have you seen it grow in that time from being um, at just a city a city event to kind of grow and beyond that yeah um well obviously i haven't been around at hometopia for 17 years I didn't start <laughs> when i was 18 um <laughs> although that would have been quite a story um i think just to to say um it's important to us that it has those liverpool roots um and it sort of grew out of um when liverpool was european city of culture um and that's sort of where we got started um but the fact that it's still in Liverpool and it's still um, really seen as, as the premier LGBT arts festival in the country, um, rather than being in that London, um, is mm. really super, super important um, because um, it's so easy to have all the talented artists feel that they can only make a living by going to London. Um, so to have a regional festival actually hold this weight is so so important um but then liverpool you know it, it it's loyal to us we're loyal to it but then of course people come from all over the country for homotopia so mm -hmm. last year's a bit different but in uh, previous years you know when we start analyzing um the postcode of people who've booked tickets you've got people from glasgow you've got people from hackney and pretty much everywhere in between mm -hmm. um because we're offering something that um other places uh, aren't necessarily offering and mm -hmm. we're offering it in, in a brilliant way yeah i think it's interesting that you say um especially about the the talent being centralized in london like i left liverpool in 2012 to come and study university um and i mean i was out a few years before i left but i definitely hadn't found who i was at that point when i left um i knew of homotopia i'd seen a few events kind of from afar but I'd never um properly got into any of them in the way that I definitely would like to now and I kind right. of I'm a bit ashamed as well to say that I've not been back as much as I would like to to the city generally but also to homotopia um so it's quite interesting especially um would say performers and artists that I follow now when it comes around to the festival each year seeing <laughs> them um performing or saying that they're doing shows in Liverpool seeing right. on the Instagram, like posting photos in places that like 17, 18 year old little queer me was like floating around in. It just, it's a, quite a nice feeling to see that, I should say that it's it's kind of still got its, its Liverpool roots there and actually it's being recognised for that as well. Definitely. Um, and I, I think a lot of people can kind of relate to what you're saying. And during the festival period, we are quite visible around the city. You know, we usually have fly posters everywhere. And um, certainly this last year, we did this thing, um, an art crawl, and we had eight giant pieces of queer art, um, you know, in Liverpool One, mm -hmm. uh, in, in the Baltic, in different parts of the city, like prominent places. Mm -hmm. um, so if you are like a young queer person coming to understand your identity and you see things like that in your city that's so affirming You're mm -hmm. like okay i'm okay here you know this yeah. is great liverpool pride came back with a, 
a big load of energy 2010 i think but i guess that kind of shows as well the power that art and culture has to be able to cut through more than something like pride may have the fact yeah. that homotopia was going before liverpool pride i know it's sponsored by barclays at this point and it's, it's grown <laughs> massively but well i think we need both though don't we and yeah. i think um uh, what homotopia offers is quite different from what pride offers mm-hmm. but um i think you can get um you can feel sometimes um as as a queer person that you just have this one day a year and it's pride and that's it yeah um but obviously in liverpool we we get homotopia too so we're kind of spoiled um mm-hmm. but pride in liverpool was an interesting one because it was a bit weird that as a city we didn't have a pride for a city our size and mm-hmm. for a city that um, you know, kind of prides itself on on being political and being like socially active. Yeah. Um, but it actually started because of something horrible happening, which yeah. was the, the murder of Michael Causa, um, who was a young gay man in the city. And um, we all understand it to be a homophobic hate crime, mm-hmm. but no one was ever co- uh, convicted. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, the response was, "Come on, let's let's reclaim these streets. Let's yeah. let's take over." Um, our festival's in October, November, so we can't do that much outside apart from the, the yeah. artwork and the posters. Um, yeah. But we get the best of both worlds, having, you know, big Pride in July and then a big festival in, in November. Yeah. So just for um for people that maybe have not visited the city before or have not heard of Homotopia, do you want to kind of break down the sort of things that people can expect from the festival? Sure. Um, everything. <laughs> so <laughs> if it's if it's queer art, um, we we'll give it a go. Um, but we have uh, in in sort of normal time. It's so hard to talk about yeah. what we do at the moment. But in in normal time, we have a residency at the Unity Theatre, uh, which is one of um, I think eight theatres we have in Liverpool. If you've never been to Liverpool, get there. It's <laughs> a great culture. Um, so we usually have a week of queer theatre um, of really really wonderful high standard um national um and local sometimes even international um you know we've programmed huge stars such as um john waters and we've had jinx monsoon twice um you know the list goes on um as well as theater and dance we do cabaret and we do visual arts we do family friendly events um literature this last year we made some audio stories Mm. um so expect all of that and then also expect the unexpected too. Yeah, I mean, it's just that when people view festivals like this, I think they can always imagine to be a little bit exclusionary. Not in terms of queer festivals, but when you imagine what an arts festival can be. Right. Especially when you think about what some of the London arts festivals are like, like Freeze, mm-hmm. where you have to pay ridiculous amounts for tickets. People just kind of dismiss them. Whereas I think it's important to say that, um, especially something like Homotopia is there's something for everyone kind of no matter the background you don't have to be part of the community you just have to celebrate it yeah and learn and understand and be a part of it in that way definitely i I think i would be the first to admit though that in in the past we have sometimes been accused of being a bit high culture Mm -hmm. like a bit high art um so that it doesn't really appeal to everybody Mm -hmm. um and just for something to be quality art, it doesn't have to be kind of like isolating in an yeah, ivory yeah, yeah. tower. Um, so we've done a lot of work in the last few years of really 
um, getting something for everyone. So we've still got, you know, theatre that maybe doesn't appeal to everybody. We've still yeah. got exhibitions that maybe don't appeal to everybody. But then we do things that are more popular culture. Mm-hmm. We Again, like we do things that are for families. Um, we do workshops so that people can learn something. So, yeah, we really do want to be something for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of our um, other LGBT History Month episodes, um, the first one we've done, we interviewed um, children's author Benjamin Dean, who's a friend okay. of mine, but he's just released his book, um, Me, My Dad and the End of the Rainbow. And one of the inspirations behind that was um, when he went to Pride, kind of seeing families, like all different types of families that visited mm. Pride and the stories that kind of go with that, whether they were heterosexual families, single parent families, LGBT, the whole kind of diversity that you get within any sort of family setup um and i think it's just so beautiful to kind of think what else you can experience taking kids uh, kids especially kind of opening a whole new world up to them and kind of allowing them to be creative in that way totally yeah and and to kids like they don't care that two women are in love with each other. Like that's just you know they're learning every day, aren't they? Yeah. So if you normalise that, then you know, hopefully we can um, have kids grow up without mm-hmm. homophobia. Mm-hmm. So, what would you say? Um, your I mean, this might maybe a difficult question for you. You might want to not want to pick favourites, but what would you say? Um, some of your favourite shows or performances or or pieces have been from the time you've been. I'm working with homotopia it is really hard um <laughs> because we tend to have anything from sort of 20 to 50 mm-hmm. um events or exhibitions uh, every single year and um this year will be my fifth festival mm-hmm. so that's an awful lot to choose from <laughs> that we could talk all day about uh, the things i've seen um but to kind of pick out a few um a local artist ashley owen who is um who is a scouter, although she was in that London for a while, but she's come back. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be welcome if you wanted to. Um, she did a, a play uh, called Hip Hip I'm Gay, which was about um, mental health, but it was like a sort of cabaret. Um, and I absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Burgers by Travis Alabanza a couple of years ago, which is um extraordinarily powerful piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had Travis back as our artist in residence the following year. Um, and then I really, really would recommend to people um, who you know can't get to Liverpool or, as I say, we don't know what the festival will look like this year. But last year in 2020, we made these audio plays called The Walk. Um, and obviously people listen to this, they're podcast fans. Um, it's one of my favourite things that we've ever done. Mm-hmm. So we commissioned six local artists um, to talk about, well, to tell a story set in a different part of the city. Mm. Um, so one's at Lime Street, uh, one's in Williamson Square, um, they're sort of dotted all around and they're just such beautiful pieces. So if you go to your, your podcast provider on Spotify or whatever and search uh, Homotopia, those will come up there. And um, yeah, I can't really recommend those more highly. I'm yeah. really proud of them. As it's History Month, have you got any um, kind of little little snippets or memories or any bits of like, I don't know, any trivia that you've got about Liverpool's LGBT history that you could share? In my first year working with Homotopia, we did, um, well, the theme of the festival that year was Liberation 50. So it was marking 50 years of the partial decriminalisation of homosexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, That law only applied to men. Mm -hmm. Um, So we 
we were like, well, what about what about women? What about queer women? Um, and it was like this idea that you didn't need to legislate against women because you know it obviously it just wasn't it wasn't a thing Mm -hmm. and so it was almost like this kind of double discrimination we weren't illegal but then we we mattered so little (laughs) that we didn't need to be illegal right um so we did an event called um 1968 which is um when the the law was repealed um 1968 where are the lesbians um and we put a bunch of queer women on a vintage bus and we did this tour of Liverpool and like the history of Liverpool um I can't remember all the facts if I'm honest um but if you look on our YouTube there is a recording of the panel discussion after that um and we have three um uh, sort of lesbian elders who can remember that time Mm -hmm. um talking about what it was like to Mm -hmm. be queer women in in the 60s and 70s so um definitely recommend checking that out too when it comes to lgbt history generally especially history month i think one of the common things similarly to as you were just saying then it tends to just be focused on gay men white gay men at that as well Mm -hmm. and it it kind of it gets much much harder to to find out about other groups within lgbt that are not white gay men typically just yeah. because the stories are not being told or not being amplified in the way that they should be. So, um, yeah, exactly. I think it's, yeah, that sounds like such a, I mean, not a fun of a fun is probably the wrong word, but it sounds like it such, a, such a great event. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually, and the interesting thing about that event was that um, I assumed because of what it was mm-hmm. that it would attract an older audience mm-hmm. who were kind of there to reminisce or whatever. But actually, the vast majority of the people were in their 20s and 30s mm-hmm. because they actually wanted to learn their history. Yeah. Um, and so actually the following year in uh, 2019, um, we did an event called 2019, Where Are All the Lesbians, which was a similar idea, but um, with um, looking at you know contemporary context and, yeah. and where queer women fit in, in media and culture mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, and what, obviously, things have been a bit shaky the last 12 months, to say the least. What are your um, plans for 2021's festival? It's really, really tricky. Um, so we did have a festival in 2020 and um, it was great. Like, I'm really proud of what we put out there. Um, a lot of it was online. Some of it was, as I said, about the, these pieces of art around the city. Um, so right now we're sort of looking into this crystal ball of what could what could the world be like in October slash November. And so we're definitely going to put something out. We're thinking it'll be some kind of hybrid of live events and digital stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't want to risk like having to change everything at the last moment again. But at the same time, if we can do live things, we want to be doing live things. So we're a bit between a rock and a hard place. But I would say to your listeners, if they um, are artists or producers or writers or whatever, we do have an open call at the moment for submissions. Mm -hmm. So if people are interested in being involved in Homotopia Festival, um, do go on our website and look at that. If they are emerging artists based in the Northwest, then we have a specific artist development program, which we're growing this year. It's going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, So check out those things if you want to get involved. the generation that came before me I would say thank you thank you for allowing us to be who we want to be and 
for the sacrifices that you've made. We owe you everything. The generation that came after me, I would say, speaks to the generation that came before and the one before that, as you can learn so much from them. Don't be afraid to speak to people who are older than yourself, as those people are still alive and they have incredible stories to tell and can teach you more about being a better human being. Okay, so I think Shaw has sold it to me. I think I am ready to to put my ticket. COVID pending, Mm. obviously, like you say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and if you don't mind paying for it, that's absolutely fantastic. (laughs) Honestly, at this rate, I'm ready to do Pride. I'm ready to do Homotopia. Another plane, another club. (laughs) (laughs) Sign me up. Yes. (laughs) Um. Yeah, honestly, I love that chat with Shaw. Mm-hmm. Um, it did, it did make me miss. It made me miss home. Oh, actually, um, and yeah, researching as well for this episode really did as well. You'll get back there soon. Don't worry, doll. Yeah, so I'm proud to be gay, and I'm also proud to be from Liverpool. One of the things I did want to mention is you'll have heard Shaw um, mention Michael Causer. So, um. We won't go into too much detail with this because I think it requires some further reading um, that I'd recommend you go and do. But um, Michael Causer was um, killed in 2008 um, and there was a foundation set up in his name. Um, it was a it was a hate crime. It wasn't classed as a hate crime, but um, it essentially was a catalyst for what became Liverpool Pride in, in 2010. Um, if you want to find out a little bit more about the foundation and the work that his parents are doing, you can follow the Michael Causer Foundation on Twitter at Michael Causer FN. They hold a vigil um, every year. It was on Facebook Live um, in 2020, but that's every year on August the 2nd um, to remember Michael and his, his life. And if you want to know more about Homotopia, you can go to homotopia.net and at Homotopia Fest on Instagram and Twitter. So that's another episode done. It is. Um, we have our yeah. final LGBT History Month episode next week. Oh, I mean, they're flying by. Oh, the, honestly, it's been fab, though. Learning some great things. Yeah, speaking to so many incredible people. Yeah. Um, Next week, we'll be speaking to Alim Karaj, who is the author of Queer London. And we're also going to be speaking to Sarah Moore, one of the volunteer team for London LGBTQ Community Centre. Um, tell us a little bit more about where they are up to. Um, so we'll see you next week. See you next week. You're doing amazing, sweetie. You're doing so amazing, sweetie. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.